Life can be so beautiful, and yet life often hurts, doesn't it? I think of just the last week. I did one funeral. I attended another. We all have been in prayer for a dear sister that had surgery for cancer. We all have rejoiced with two brothers that each had heart procedures that left uncared for could have taken their life. Rarely does a week go by when we don't know something about hurt. Physically, emotionally, in some way. We've all heard the expression, no pain, no gain. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter 1.11. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 11, the Apostle Peter speaks of the sufferings of Jesus and the glory that would follow. I hope you'll keep that expression in your mind. The sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. Jesus is perfect. Jesus never sinned. And yet Jesus hurt while he was in this world. The conclusion I draw from that is we're not Jesus. And if Jesus experienced hurt and pain, though sinless, we will experience hurt and pain for we have sinned. Now turn to Romans chapter 8. And Romans chapter 8 is such an assuring, encouraging chapter, but it doesn't pull any punches. And when we get to Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25, there are three key words, three key concepts that you will see throughout this paragraph. Here they are. Suffering, see that in verse 17 and 18? Hope, see that especially in Romans 8, 24 and 25? Glory. Suffering, hope, and glory. Don't forget those concepts those key words, because that is what this section of Romans 8 is all about. The people of God will suffer, but we can suffer here knowing that glory awaits. And we can suffer here with hope because glory awaits. Now that, as simply as I can put it, is what this paragraph is about in Romans 8. 
So people that hurt might need to turn to Romans 8 in this section for hope. And people whose hope is taking a hit might need to turn to Romans 8 verses 18 through 25 for a hope transfusion. And people who are trying as God's people to suffer with hope might need to look to Romans 8, 18 through 25 for glory. And that glory awaits. That, my friends, my brothers and sisters, is what this section is about. Now, if you mark in your Bibles, or if you're taking notes... By Romans 8, 18 through 25, put down Romans 5, 1 through 5. Because what you're going to see is this. Romans 5, 1 through 5 is one slice of bread. And Romans 8, 18 through 25 is another slice of bread. And all kinds of wonderful things are in the bread and in the meat that's on the sandwich. Between Romans 5, 1 through 5, and Romans 8, 18 through 25. Both concepts, both passages rather, emphasize suffering. Both passages emphasize hope. Both passages, Romans 5 and Romans 8 here, emphasize glory. Both passages emphasize the Holy Spirit. The first fruits of the Spirit being given to us in Romans 8. And the Spirit has poured the love of God out in our hearts in Romans 5 and verse 5. And both passages emphasize, Brother Bill, patiently waiting and enduring. Because glory is coming. Glory awaits. So Romans 5 begins this discussion of suffering, hope, and glory in the book of Romans. But Romans 8 brings it to a crescendo, a high point. What's this section about? Suffering, hurting. What's the passage about hope? What's the passage about glory? If one misses that in Romans 8, they have missed Paul's theme for several chapters now. But where he really comes to a high point is in Romans 8. Now look at Romans 8, 17 with me. If children heirs, heirs together with Christ, joint heirs with Christ. If we suffer with Him, we will be glorified with Him. Let me break down Romans 8, 17. First of all, Christians are in a great position... (laughs) Christians have a great position. What do you mean? Children, and not just children, but what? Heirs. 
children and heirs. Family head is mentioned next. Children, heirs of God. The head of the family, spiritually speaking, really is God. We are His children. We are His heirs if we're Christians. Heirs of God. Keep looking at the passage. Third, the degree of our sonship or daughtership, the degree of our being heirs, heirs together with Christ. Heirs together with Christ. And then notice, finally, in Romans 8, 17, a condition. If we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. Now, here's what I want you to understand. A lot of what I've said, I want you to remember and understand. But when you get to Romans 8, 18 through 25, Romans 8, 18 is the foundation upon which Paul is building everything about Suffering, hope, and glory. Suffering, hope, and glory. Note some of the expressions. First of all, I count or I consider. Here is an apostle saying, after a lot of thought and prayer, this is my conviction. And it ought to be everybody's He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time. First the suffering, then the glory. Is there any way to bypass life's hurts? There wasn't for Jesus. And as people who love and follow him, there will not be for us either. The sufferings of this present time. Mark that expression, present time. Paul has a keen awareness of time and eternity. And when we hurt, time seems to drag and take so long. The sufferings of this present time, I'll come back to that thought, are not worthy to be compared. If you really want to look at things and evaluate them, the suffering doesn't compare to the glory. The glory is far weightier, far more precious, far more valuable. Because the glory is eternal. While the suffering and the hurt are for this present time. Our momentarily, our momentary light affliction, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, works for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. We're gonna hurt. But God's people can have hope 
in all their hurts that a eternal glory awaits. Eternal glory awaits. Not worthy to be compared. You know, it's amazing how many of us know the value of things here in this world, but have very little understanding of things of eternal value. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Suffering for the present is inconsequential and just for the present time when we think about it in comparison to eternal glory. That will be revealed in us. Something that we can experience. I know this. While we live here, we experience hurt. Amen. We experience suffering. We experience loss. But Romans 8.18 is a foundation statement that though we suffer, we can suffer in hope knowing that glory awaits. Isn't that rich? Isn't that encouraging? Now, the idea is... We may be persecuted for righteousness, Matthew 5, 10 through 12. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3, 12. The idea is that the world hated Jesus and we may have to suffer while we live here in this old world, John 15, 18 through 21. After we have suffered for a little while, we know that the grace of God will take us home. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. Paul is not thinking that life is always going to be beautiful. He thinks that life here is going to involve times that hurt. When he was called to be an apostle, God said of him, I will show him the many things he must suffer. Acts 9, 15, and 16. And we read of some of the examples of things he went through as an apostle, a servant of God in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. I cannot tell you that you will not hurt. I cannot tell you that you will not suffer. But I can tell you that when you hurt and suffer, as a person who loves Jesus, you can have hope and that glory awaits. You ready to look at this passage a little bit more with me? Have I set the stage? You got the picture? Everybody? Everybody? Let's go on. Now in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 22... Listen, here's the main point. We will hurt and suffer as Christians, but glory awaits. Does that sound familiar? We will hurt and suffer as Christians, but glory awaits. Now what is interesting about verses 19 through 22, as 
is this. Paul personifies creation. We think of hurting and suffering on an individual basis or a family basis or maybe a human basis. But Paul says, wait just a minute, think about this. The effect of sin in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sinned had an impact on the world, had an impact on the earth, not just humanity, but the earth itself. And so he personifies creation. He makes what we think of as inanimate creation, this world, animate for a moment. And notice the descriptive terms he uses, beginning in verse 19. There's two in verse 19, two in verse 20, two in verse 22. The first expression he uses in verse 19 is that creation anxiously waits. In this world of suffering, creation anxiously waits. There's this sense of anticipation for what's around the corner. Anxiously waiting. Second expression. Creation, according to verse 20, eagerly longs. There's this desire. I can hardly wait. That is how Paul personifies creation as speaking. Now go down, if you would, to verse 20. And creation, according to the passage, has a will. Paul, again, is giving the world, giving creation... Qualities like you and me. And he says that because of sin, the world was subjected to futility. And it says, not willingly. Not willingly because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Creation has a will. And you know what? It is as if, my friends, that creation is like the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity and futile and empty. Because what earth had been created for had been marred. By sin and its stain. Remember Genesis chapter 3, 17 through 19? And God uses expressions like curse. The earth is cursed. And only by a lot of effort will fruit and produce be able to be, to, to be grown. And he keeps building this and he is showing that this is true of creation and how very true it also is of every human being because each one of us were created in the image of God. 
Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Look at number 4. Also from Romans 8, 20. Creation groans. Do you see the expression? Groans. Now, I have heard several of you walk into the church building who are not as young as you used to be. And there's a little bit of moaning and groaning. I recall some of those days when I didn't have too many moans and groans. But the older one gets, the more moans and groans we know well, don't we? Imagine the experience of this old creation groaning. There's anguish and there's sighing. There's pain. But notice that this world, this creation hopes, verse 20, and groans, verse 22. Creation hopes. More about that in just a second. We'll let the passage help us. And then it says, and I love this one. In verse 22... It says that creation, all creation, is like a woman having birth pains, a woman in labor. Now, ladies, here's the thing to consider. It's like the earth having this creation, having birth pains ever since Adam and Eve sinned. You think you've had a long labor it doesn't begin to compare. Amen? Even somebody like Brandy. She's had some labor with some kids, hasn't she, Thomas? But nothing like creation is depicted as having. Now here's what I want you to see. What is it that creation is eagerly waiting for? Anxiously anticipating. What is it that creation is hoping for? Let the text answer. Let the text answer. Look at verse 19. Look at verse 19. Romans 8, 19 says, The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And I'll put it this way. For the time of the second coming and when God's people can be with him forevermore. Okay? Let's keep looking at the passage. Verse 21. Creation longs for this. And so should we. We should long for the coming the revelation, the apocalypse, the unveiling, the Lord's second coming where God's people can be with him forever. And we should secondly, like creation, look at verse 21, long to be set free from bondage and corruption. Long to be set free from bondage and corruption. 
third. Look at the text again in verse 21. You see, preachers need to be preaching what the Bible says. Creation longs for and eagerly anticipates what? Look at verse 21. That it might obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What's creation waiting for? Creation is waiting for the time when the faithful of God will live with God forever in glory. That's what. But that's not the whole story. That's, that's suffering and glory. That's suffering and glory. But what about the hope? The hope while we suffer. Please move with me to verses 23 through 25 of Romans 8. This passage is not primarily about what will happen to the earth. This passage is about what will happen to us and how the creation longs for that more than most of us do. That's what the passage is about. It is about suffering, hope, and glory. So look at this passage with me, verses 23 through 25. God's people have ultimate hope here while we wait for eternal glory. I hope you'll remember that. God's people have ultimate hope here while we wait for eternal glory. Now let's just work our way through this passage and start looking for the pronoun we. We. First, the passage says, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Do you see that? In verse 23, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. The first fruits. More to come. More on the way. The first fruits of the Spirit. If you would, turn to Ephesians 1. Notice verses 13 and 14. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. What is meant by this first fruits of the Spirit? Well, Romans 8 has been saying a lot about the Holy Spirit as we've been studying it. But look at Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. The text says... In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance 
until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. The first fruits of the Spirit seems to point to the seal of the Spirit in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 as a guarantee of the inheritance, the glorious inheritance that awaits. Turn to Ephesians 4, verse 30. Y'all having fun yet? If you're not, that's on you today. Because any passage that's about suffering and hope and glory, there's a built-in application for everybody. Amen? Look at Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, two passages. The first one, chapter 1 and verse 22. uh, 2 Corinthians 1.22. God in Christ has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 5. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing, what, in this tent, in this tabernacle, we groan being burdened. Look, Troy, at 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 4. And then you get here and look at verse 5 and it says, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us His Spirit as a guarantee. Think of the Spirit as God's initial down payment. His promise and pledge that as we love Him, Glory awaits. A glorious inheritance awaits. Now, what you have in Romans 8 is really interesting because what we had earlier was creation groaning. Now, when you look here at this passage in verse 23, we groan. We groan, Romans 8 23. We sigh. There's hurt and there's anguish and there's heartache. There's loss. We've been given the first fruits of the Spirit now. We know God will keep His word. Let's be true to Him. We do groan and we do feel burdened. Look at verse 23. We wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters. We eagerly await the goal. Being with God as His family forever. God says, you're mine The Lord knows those that are His. 2 Timothy 2.19 He's given us His promised spirit. But we will suffer and hurt. We will groan. But we wait eagerly for our adoption. How it culminates. And what I love here is this. 
We are blessed to be God's people. But this passage is also culminating in glory and what it will be like to live forever with God as his people. Now notice what he does, and it's past, present, future. Past, present, future. Talk about ultimate hope. Here's past hope. Look at the passage with me in Romans 8. We were saved by hope. See Romans 8, 24? That is pointing, Will Mayfield, to a time in the past when Jesus and his gospel took care of our sins through our humble, loving faith. It's talking about God's gracious initiative in making salvation possible. We were saved in hope. Anticipating and expecting God to do what he promised. Notice verse 25. Romans 8, 25. It says, we hope for what we do not see. Hey, Brian, that's present tense. Right now, we hope for what we don't see. When you hurt, when your family hurts, when you suffer, we hope for what we do not see presently. But we believe it because of the great promise of God. And then notice this future tense. I'll tell you what, you'll never beat our hope. Not this side of glory. Because look at future hope. In verse 25, we wait for it with patience. We wait for the time we'll be with God forever with patience. Future tense. What a chapter. A chapter that deals with the fact that people will hurt and suffer. But it deals with the hope that we have in Jesus. And what he's done to save us in the past. What he will do to walk beside us in the present. And how he will guide us all the way to our eternal home in the future. What a Savior. What a great God. It's just what we need. Romans 8 is just what people need. You have listened well. If you are not a Christian, respond to the grace of Jesus Christ at the cross. Have your sins washed away by the blood of the Lamb because you believe Him, you trust Him as your Lord and Savior. You turn from your sins and you don't want to live that way anymore. Luke 13, 3 through 5. This is something that God commands that there be a change of mind because there's a change of heart. And then the Bible speaks of baptism and how that at the point of baptism there is a death and a burial and a resurrection. Romans 6, 3 through 5. You know what? What? Thank you. I have an amen section on row two that is two years old and related to me. But anyway, Romans 8 deals with life. 
Romans 8 deals with glory. And Romans 8 deals with assurance. A person outside of Christ is dead. A person outside of Christ cannot know glory without coming to Him. A person outside of Christ has no assurance. Do not leave this building dead without the hope of glory and without assurance. Let us stand and sing.